once you get born again, how many of you know getting born again is what everybody needs to do first? But once you get born again, there are several issues that will make you a success in your Christian life. Number one, you got to know the word. Why? Because if you don't know the truth, any lie will do. The devil can tell you anything. The world can tell you anything. Your flesh can tell you anything. And if you don't know the word, you'll just believe anything. You got to know the word. Number two, you got to know how to be led by the Holy Ghost. Because you need to know in this day and this hour where to be and where not to be. When to go and when not to go. And what to do and what not to do. Are you with me? But another issue about which our Father God is really serious is on the subject of walking in love with one another and forgiving one another. And you know what? Until I really studied it out, I didn't know how serious he was. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's all about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are impressive. How many of you know that's true? That's working of miracles. How many of you ever seen somebody get up out of a wheelchair? Only a few. A few years back when we were still in the A-frame, I asked the church, how many of you ever seen a miracle? And very few hands went up. I said, well, we got to fix that. So I was showing videos from the healing revivals in the 40s, watching people get miracles, watching people get healed. That's the kind of stuff that makes people go, ooh, ah. How many of you know that's the impressive stuff? Are you with me? The gifts of the Spirit and manifestation can be very impressive in their, in their demonstration and how they're, they're brought across. You know, I've heard my husband, uh, you know, uh, he can stand in the office of the prophet. And um, I've heard him say to somebody, you said in your heart on the way to church tonight, thus and so. Well, how many of you know you can't fake that? People are always thinking, how do they know that? They must have, you know, listening devices in people's cars. Oh, please. Number one, that wouldn't even have worked in that case because nothing was said out of your mouth. There's nothing to listen to. Are you with me? But listening, to, we don't have time for all that, all right? We don't got time for all that. I guarantee you, never have, never will. We don't got time for all that. But those gifts of the Spirit, they're very impressive. The things that make us, ooh, and ah, oh, I love it. I love to see him in demonstration. Y'all with me? I know some of you, how many of you never really heard me speak from the pulpit? It's been a little while. That's okay, you'll get used to me. I'm an acquired taste, a little bit like black coffee or something, you know. You'll get used to me as we go. Okay, Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians, though, chapter 12, verse 31, out of the Amplified Classic. Earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and the best gifts and graces, the higher gifts and the choicest graces. Listen, and yet I will show you a still more excellent way, one that is better by far. Okay, let's stop right there. Better by far than all those showy gifts. Better by far, a more excellent way. And the highest of them all, this agape love. Wow. 
When I first started studying this out, I was shocked to see how God thinks. Have you ever, God just show you something and you think, man, you think differently than I think. <laughs> then what do I know I got to do? I got to change my thinking. So I start thinking like he thinks. So the very next verse, because the Bible was not written in chapters and verses, you know. These were letters, uh, and we just put chapters and verses in for our ease of study. But the very next verse is 13.1. Just stay in the Amplified Classic, but 1 Corinthians 13.1. you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. If I can speak in the tongue of men, tongues of men and even of angels, but I have not love... That's agape, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for and in us. I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you know this is a spirit-filled church? We believe in speaking in tongues. And we think you ought to speak in tongues all the time. Why? Because it's a secret language between you and God. That's what I tell the children's church. It's a secret language that the devil can't understand. You can pray out secrets and mysteries, and he has no clue what you're saying. It's very cool. And you can pray out stuff, and then you bump into your own prayers in the future. How cool is that? But this scripture says... Even if you're, though, so proficient in the tongues of men and even of angels, angelic tongues, but you don't have love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for it, and us, we're only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, listen, my brother was a drummer. From the time he was a little boy, he always wanted to play drums. And I don't know what my parents were thinking. But when he was about five years old, they bought him a trap set. This, this thing over here, that's a trap set. So they got him a little tiny miniature little boy set of drums and cymbals. And, of course, he had no idea how to play it. So he would just sit there and beat that cymbal until... All of us were just like, it's got to go. It's got to go. Next thing you know, it's in the garage. Next thing you know, that little thing disappeared. Who knows what happened to that? To this day, I'm not sure. I have a great idea. But how many of you know it's just annoying? One night uh, in Bible Institute... I wanted to demonstrate, so I took the drumsticks, and when I said, it's just a noisy gong or clank cymbal, I went back there and just started wailing on the cymbals. There was a child asleep on the pew, and I didn't know it. Let's just say they came up quickly. Uh, yeah, so I don't actually do it anymore. Okay, uh, verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers... The gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose of God. And I understand all the secret truths and mysteries. And I possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith so that I could literally remove mountains, but I have not love, God's love in me, listen to this, I am nothing 
a useless nobody. Isn't that shocking? You're not shocked? Listen, if you had prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose of God, and you understood all God's secret truths and mysteries, and you possessed all knowledge, how many of you know I'm going to be impressed with you? But God's not. He said, without this agape love, even if you can do all that, you're still nothing. A useless nobody. Holy cow. That's shocking. And if I have enough faith so that I could literally speak to Montesano out here or Green Mountain. Okay, they're hills, but. It would still be impressive. If you literally had enough faith that you could say, Green Mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And it jumps up and runs down to the Gulf of Mexico and throws itself in the sea. How many of you know I'm going to be impressed with you? But God said, even if you have that much faith, and we're a faith church, we're a faith people. You have got to understand faith to get through life because it's your, it's your shield. It's what keeps the fiery darts of the devil off of you. Do you understand me? He throws sickness at you. And last time I did this, I forgot to, and I, yeah, into my teeth. My, my, it was really special. No, I was bleeding. It was really bad. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to hit my own. I'll do it this way. Uh, the devil throws sickness at you, and you do what? No, devil, you're raising your shield. Y'all with me? You're raising your shield of faith. No, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I'm going to get your kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, steal your marriage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. No, you're not. But it's faith that wards it off. We're a faith church and we're a faith people. But how many of you know if you had so much faith that you glow in the dark? You could sneak into a phone booth, rip your shirt off, and have a giant F on your chest. For faith, man. I might be impressed with you. But how many of you know God's not? He said you can have sufficient faith so that you can literally remove mountains. But if you have not love, God's love in you, then you're nothing. A useless nobody. Shocking. Verse 3. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned or in order that I may glory, but I have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. If you gave away everything that you had to the poor to provide food for those who were hungry, I would be impressed with you. But the Bible says God is not unless you also do it just for love. How many of you know people do all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons? It always
always cracks me up that scripture that says, when you go to give to the poor, don't blow a trumpet like the heathen or the, the religious people do. So I'm imagining this, right? The religious leaders, they're about to go give some money to the poor. So they bring along a trumpeter. Are you with me? And they say, okay, okay, I think this is the one. Go ahead, trumpeter. Attention, everyone. I'm about to give money to this poor schlub. Seriously. God is not impressed with our giving unless we do it just because we love the recipient. He said, if I surrender my body to be burned or to be martyred, but I do it that I can glory. Listen, I know a whole lot of people who put themselves in a whole lot of dangerous situations just so they can look impressive in their newsletters. God never called you to be a hero. He called you to be obedient. I was in an idol-worshiping country with a group who were going around kicking over people's idols. And the, the ministers who took them there, they said, why are you doing that? You're going to die. And they said, well, we're not afraid to die. He said, yeah, but you're not going to die for the cause of Christ. You're going to die because you're stupid. Stop it. People can do heroics and end up dead for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the love of God being, being uh, their motivating factor towards people. And even if you gave out everything you owned, and even if you were martyred, but you did it for the wrong reason, any reason except love, the Bible says you gain nothing. You're going to get to heaven and God is going to say, what are you doing up here? Seriously. I could have used you for another 30 years. I was sitting in a meeting in a village in a third world country listening to somebody preach against idols to a bunch of idol worshipers saying mean, hard things. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I'm not even going to die for a good reason. I'm going to die because she's stupid. Lord, how, what do I do? What, where do I, what do I do? And I'm waiting, you know, and the crowd's not reacting. So when it was done, I asked the interpreter. I said, why are we still alive? He looked at me and he said, Rhonda, I didn't preach her sermon. It's a true story. He said, I, I preached my own sermon on love. And when she read a scripture, I read a scripture on love. When she gestured, I figured out a way to work it into my message on love. Listen, it's a culture that men don't touch women, but I wanted to hug that man. Because I'm telling you, it's probably the only reason I'm alive to stand here before you today. Because people do dumb things and end up dead when they don't have to. 
God never required that of them, just to be a hero. God never called you to be a hero. He just called you to be obedient to what he asked you to do. Verses 4 through 8 is the uh, biblical definition from God of what this agape love is. Because how many of you know it's important? It's important. I think it's so fascinating that God defines agape love by how it acts. Verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Let's just stop right there. Sometimes you can endure long without being patient and kind. Sometimes when you have to endure long on your job, you get home and then you yell at your wife and you kick the dog and you, you know, no. This agape love that we're supposed to walk in every single day, it endures long. That word endure comes from a Latin word called endurere. It means to make harder, strong, or tough. How many of you know when you can do this, you're, you're strong? It takes a strong person to control themselves when you'd like to tear somebody's head off. Anyway, I really digress. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Second thing I want you to notice is these things are choices. They're not feelings. It would have been a much bigger request if God had said, I want you to feel patient all the time. He knew we couldn't do that. So he said, I want you to be patient. And how many of you know you can be patient when you don't feel like being patient? It's a decision and an action. This agape love is a decision to do what's right by somebody else even when you don't feel like doing it. Are you with me? It's a decision and an action. Love endures long when it doesn't want to. And is patient and kind when it doesn't feel like being patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. I used to think those were redundant words. But envy is resentfully wanting what someone else has. They've got something you don't. And you resent them for it. And you want it, and you resent it that they got it. Are you with me? Jealousy is a fear of being displaced. So when some little chicky saddles up to my husband, and she says, oh, Pastor Mark. <laughs> You're just the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, Pastor Mark, do you know what I would give to have a man like you? I hope your wife knows what she, how many of you know, if I'm standing there, it is not envy I'm feeling. It's probably, uh, I'm fixing to take you down. So love is not, never is envious, 
Why? Because you're in that same line of blessing. What does anyone have that you don't have? The same God that healed them will heal you. The same God who blessed them with a spouse will bless you with one. Same God who blessed who blessed them with children will bless you one. The same God who blessed them financially will bless you. You're in that line of blessing. If they just happen to be ahead of you in line, who cares? You got nothing to be envious about. Because no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. They just happen to be a little further along in the line than you. Anyway, it's never envious nor boils over with jealousy. Why? Ladies, you ought to know who you are. He's grateful. To, he ought to be grateful to have you. No, somebody. Anyway, shut up, Rhonda. Just shut up. Move on. Move on. Love is not boastful. Hey, look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Why? Because when I do that, I'm putting you down. I'm vaunting myself over you. And then this, I like the next word, vainglorious. How many of you know boasting is when you really have something to boast about? Vainglorious, you ain't got nothing to boast about and you're still boasting. (laughs) I won't ask how many of you ever known somebody like that. They glory in vain. They think they all that and they ain't. (laughs) Love does not display itself haughtily. That's what arrogance looks like when it comes out. Haughty. Next verse. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. I just had to go on. I can stay here the rest of the day. We don't have time. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. There's a certain behavior that's becoming to a son and a daughter of the Most High God like you. Love does not act in a way that's unbecoming to your position in this life, which is here. You're here as a son and a daughter of the Most High. A son or a daughter of the King. So you don't act haughty. You're just gracious to those around you like your kingly father would want you to be. So you act in a way that's becoming to your position as a son and a daughter of God. So love does not act unbecomingly. Love, aren't you glad it says God's love in us? How many of you know we can't do this on our own? We can't live this way consistently. But he can. And he's in here. If you're born again, love lives in you because God is love. And when you received him, he moved in here. All you got to do is let him out. Some of you hadn't let him out in so long that when he comes out, he's going to look like he's from the 70s with the bell-bottom pants and the headband and the, you know. No, you need to let him out. Let him... (laughs) I don't know. I have zero notes. I literally am, I am totally extemporaneously doing this this morning. But it's pretty good, yes? <laughs> but you need to let him out. Love is in there. Love is in there when you're bored again. It's a matter of whether you choose to yield to him or not. 
Because if you're listening to that still small voice and you go to say something that's wrong, he's going to tell you, eh. Okay. Love, God's love in us, so grateful, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful. You know what that word touchy really means? Easily ignited. How many of you ever known somebody who was easily ignited? I call them porcupine people. You barely brush up against them and... Porcupine quills. They're ready to take you out. All right. Um, it does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account. Uh, account means to give it mental attention. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Verse 6. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, and I'll say this, even if you think they had it coming. I'm going to let that soak in a half a second. Love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, even if you think they had it coming. What does the world call that? Karma? The Bible says if your neighbor falls and you rejoice, the Lord will shorten their punishment. To take it out on you because you should know better. Come on now. Now that's old covenant, aren't you glad? But God still feels the same. Anyway, some of you don't like this, but it's all good. You know what? No matter what I say, if you just keep smiling and looking forward. Nobody will ever know I'm, get, I'm getting you, all right? All right. Love rejoices when right and truth prevail. Verse 7. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. Verse 8, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Glory to God. Now listen, I'm a simple person. The best way I know to stay in love is not to get out of it. How's that for deep doctrine? The best way I know to tell you to stay in love is not to get out of it. What's one of the main ways people get out of love? Offense. Offense. You have opportunities every single day to take offense or not to take offense. Everybody does. If you are alive on planet Earth, you're going to have opportunity for offense. Listen, even if you're stranded on a desert island all by yourself in the middle of the ocean after a shipwreck, you're going to have to forgive the people for not finding you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or the monkey from stealing your bananas. Oh, we all have opportunities every single day. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking to you about offenses. I want to show you how an offense works so that you don't fall into the trap of the devil. So I'm assuming the guys are ready upstairs. So it all begins with either an appearance or an action. 
right in the middle there. If you're taking notes, skip down because we're going to write above that. Appearance or an action. It can be real or it can be imagined. How many of you ever walk into a room and everybody quits talking? What's the first thing the devil says to you? They were talking about you. They could have been planning your birthday party. You don't know. It could be real or it could be imagined. It could be as real as somebody murdering someone you love. Or as fake as everybody quit talking when you come in. It can be big or it can be little. Do you understand? It can be as big as, you know, when you turn 40, your husband trading you in for two 20s. Two 20-year-olds because you turned 40. <laughs> or it could be just something so silly. They, they, they sat in my seat on Sunday morning. Everybody knows I sit there. My backside is in that seat, this seat, every Sunday morning. Not, not whose backside is in my seat. Do you understand? When that appearance or action happens, then you have, next slide, an opportunity for offense. When these opportunities come, you have a choice. And really, it is a choice as to whether or not you're going to get offended. Listen to me. If you've gotten offended or you got your feelings hurt or you're angry at somebody because of something they did to you, then you took the offense. You took it. You can refuse it. Or you can take it. It's your choice. So when you get to this point, you have a choice. Go ahead, next slide. You can either go God's way or Satan's way. How many of you know the Lord's already told us he wants us to walk in his love? Not much else matters to him. If you choose to go, I think we do God's way first. What's the next slide? Yes. Then your spirit prevails. How many of you know there's always that still small voice on the inside of you that helps you? Because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. And he says, don't do this. Don't take that offense. Don't get mad at them. How many of you know, though, your flesh? It wants its way as well. So there's that classic battle on the inside of you between good and evil, between God and your flesh. And who are you going to side in with? If you side in with God and you say, no, uh, Pastor Rhonda said I ought not take offense. I saw it in the word. Therefore, Father, I'm going to obey you. Then your spirit is prevailing over your flesh. That's where you, that's, this is the side you want to live on. The result of that, next slide, is that the offense is refused. The result of that is that you're still walking in love. You're still walking in love. Next slide. The result of that, next slide, is liberty and freedom from guilt because you did what was right and what was pleasing to God, and you're free. Liberty 
Liberty. I love that scripture where Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, referring to the devil, but he has nothing in me. Glory to God, that's where we need to live. He can come, he can try, he can rant, he can rage, but he ain't got nothing in me that he can grab a hold of. You know, it's like that gangster, I think it was in Chicago, they used to call him Teflon Don. Because whatever they threw at him just seemed to slide off. They'd never get anything to stick where they could put him in prison. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, I told you you get used to me, okay? All right. All right, the result of that is victory and effectiveness when you're pleasing God. The result of that is that Zoe God kind of life. Glory to God. If, however, you choose wrongly and you take the offense. And you know what? Sometimes that decision happens so fast we don't even realize we chose. The result of that is your flesh prevailing over your spirit. Well, I don't care. They had no right to talk to me that way. They had no right to do that. You can't treat me that way. What's that old saying? Mess me over the first time, shame on you. Mess me over the second time, shame on me. You have no right. Do you understand? The result of that is that you have now taken that offense. The result of that is that now you're the one in sin. Because you've allowed anger and hatred and bitterness in your heart. Listen, you could have been totally the innocent party. Maybe you did absolutely nothing wrong. And somebody did something so horrible to you. That's just almost unimaginable. You know, there is cruelty in this world that I don't begin to understand. It's amazing how heartless and cruel people can be. I'm not excusing their behavior. Nor am I minimizing your pain. My point this morning is to tell you how to get free and be free. Now you're the one in sin. Wow. The result of that is guilt and condemnation because that's what happens when we sin. The result of that is that you're defeated and ineffective as a Christian. The result of that will ultimately be death because the wages of sin is death. Could be the death of a relationship could be the death of your self-esteem. It could even be spiritual death if you let it go to the point that it comes between you and God. Have you ever talked to somebody and they're just so upset and they're, you know, they tell you this story. Maybe you don't counsel people, but, you know, they tell you the story and, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. When did that happen? Thinking, you know, it just happened this week. And they're like, 30 years ago. 
I don't uh, usually pinpoint this to my family. But uh, I was raised in a pastor's home and um, spent my entire childhood up until my parents divorced chasing my father with my mother. Who's he with tonight? What's he doing? Where's he at? Do you understand? He, he, even though he was a pastor, he didn't live right. He didn't do right. And... Um, my poor mother just went from humiliation to humiliation the whole time they were together. And it's a long story, but um, when I was nine, they divorced. And my dad totally lost it. And um, he started drinking and, you know, doing crazy stuff, sleeping around. Well, he was doing that before, but, uh, I, mean, just, I mean, just lived like the devil. Mom, listen, my sister one time, something happened, she got hurt, and she said, oh, G-O-D. She knew better than to say it. You understand? We lived in a very religious home, and she got backhanded for spelling it. And here he is out. She loved him. She loved him. She believed in him. She tried so hard to help him. And all he did was humiliate her. After they divorced, she hated him. He refused to pay any child support. There were four of us kids. She had to work uh, more than a, uh, a full-time job. She worked a job where she could put in unlimited hours. And sometimes she'd work 16, 18 hours a day trying to put food on the table and take care of us kids. She hated him. But you know what? The day came when she was in a meeting. And they were talking about forgiveness. And they said, you know, if you're still bound up. Because unforgiveness steals your joy. It steals your peace. It can make you old before your time. Can't sleep at night. Got bags under your eyes. You got stomach issues now because of all the excess acid. From all the anger and the hatred. God never meant for us to live that way. So she answered the altar call as one of those people who was still just eat up 10 years later. Still just eat up. And I happened to go in there with her. And I heard the lady said to her, how much longer are you going to let him hurt you? She said, the whole time you were together, he hurt you. But by not forgiving him, you're still allowing him to steal your life. You're still allowing him to steal your joy, to steal your peace. You're still allowing him. How much longer? How many more years are you going to give him when you could be happy? And you could be free. Isn't it enough? How many of you know forgiveness is setting the captive free and then realizing that you were the one captive? You set yourself free. 
when you forgive. It's like the um, experiment the scientists did. They had a monkey and they put a banana in a cage. The monkey could just reach through the bars, but the bars were not spaced sufficiently for him to get the banana back through. So he reached his hand in and he grabbed that banana and he wanted it so bad. And he kept pulling and yanking and trying to get it through the bars. But how many of you know he was stuck? He was stuck right there. If they had wanted to kill him, if they were hunters or whatever, they could have done it so easily. Because he wouldn't let go. Please hear me. I am not minimizing your pain. I am not minimizing how cruel people can be. Again, there's cruelty in this world that I don't begin to understand. And I know. I know. But you have to get to the point where you realize this is hurting me. Not them. Do you understand? All that time my mom was laying in bed at night hating him and thinking of, you know, things, you know, hating him for not supporting us kids for everything that he did to her. He's out on on the beach in Florida with a chick under his arm, drunk as a skunk, couldn't care less that she hated him. Her hatred did not hurt him. It hurt her. Do you understand? When you forgive, it sets you free. And listen, aren't you so glad he forgave you? He didn't wait till we got it together. For most of us, he came after us. When we were sinners, we did not run after him. I am so grateful that he chose to forgive me when I was altogether unlovely, when I didn't deserve it, when I wasn't seeking him, when I didn't care about him or one thing he cared about. He still chose to forgive me. Well, Pastor Rhonda, you have no idea. No, and for the most part, you have no idea about my life. There's a lot of things that I could match you hell for hell for. But sometimes the best revenge you can have is to go on and lead a good life and be happy despite somebody else's best attempts to destroy you. Do you understand? And I want to say this. Number one, you can't wait till they repent to forgive them because they may never repent. But whether they repent or not, you can be free. 
Do you understand? Forgiveness is a choice. And you can choose regardless of the temperature of your heart. Pastor Rhonda, I don't, I, I don't feel like I can forgive them. It does, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. God supplies the feelings after you supply the choice. Corey Tin Boom, Dutch lady, hid the Jews during the Nazi time of the Nazis. They had made a, a, a place in their, the wall of their home to hide the Jewish people that the Nazis were after and were trying to kill. And bottom line is they got caught, and she ended up in a uh, prison camp. And she, um, her family died there. It was just her and her dad and her sister, and they all died there. And her sister died a horrible, lingering death before her. And uh, she, she could have just been eat up with it for the rest of her life. The cruelties, you know. She ran into one of the guards afterwards. Interestingly enough, he was in one of her services. She said, one minute she saw him there with his suit on and his hat in his hand, and the next minute she saw him in his Nazi uniform with the skull and visors on his cap and the whip hanging from his side that he used to beat them with. She said, I had just spoken about forgiveness because it was the message that bombed out Germany most needed to hear. But she said, now here he was walking towards her. And she said, my heart froze. And he walked up to her and he said, sister, how good it is to hear that as you say, our sins are thrown into the deepest ocean. He said, during the war, I was a guard at Ravensbrück Prison, which is where she was. And he said, since the war, I've received Christ, and I know that God's forgiven me. But he said, Fräulein, can you forgive me? And he lifted his hand to her. She said, I fumbled in my pocketbook for a tissue rather than take that hand. She said, I watched my only sister die a horrible death in that place. She said, I remember being made to walk naked past this man. The pathetic pile of all of our clothes in the middle of the room. The humiliation of everything they put us through. And all of that is to be erased just because he's asking? She said this. She said, I knew I had to do it. Because after the war, she had run a home for those who had been released from the prison, prison camps. And she said, I knew as, as an everyday reality that those who could forgive could go on with their lives no matter their outward scars and injuries. But those who refused to forgive 
remained invalids the rest of their life. Plus, she said, how could I refuse to forgive this man when my own sins had been forgiven time and time again? So she said, Lord, help me. She said, Lord, I can give him my hand. I'll forgive him, but you're going to have to supply the feeling. She said, woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand into his. She said, when she did, the most amazing thing happened. She said, the voltage or the currency started in her shoulder and sprang down her arm into their joined hands. And she said the warmth and the love of God enveloped them both as they stood there, the former prison guard and the former prisoner. She said, I had never known the love of God as intensely as I did in that moment. She said, then I meant it. I said, I do forgive you, sir. With all of my heart, I forgive you. And she was free. She was free. Listen, forgiveness is a choice. And you can choose regardless of the temperature of your heart. Listen, I, I, forgiveness doesn't mean what they did was right. Some people think, well, if I forgive them, it's like I'm saying what they did was okay. What they did, no, 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 no. What they did will never be okay. Do you hear me? It'll never be right. The only thing forgiveness is you saying, is you saying, I'm not going to let you steal one more day of my life. You stolen my joy, you stolen my peace, you stolen everything for so long. I'm not giving you another day. Forgiveness sets you free. 